Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another version of Bill Rosen on Sports here in Los Angeles at a really undisclosed location in the bowels of the Staples Center in a room called NCAA Staff. Um, but we're here and here with uh, great Jamal Murphy. Murph, what's going on? Great to be here. A uh, little makeshift studio today, so forgive <laughs> us for any... Uh, uh, technical difficulties that may occur in the future, but everything's like great. Some, like somebody <laughs> coming in and kicking us out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but we're at Staples Center in Los Angeles uh, getting ready for the uh, Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. Uh, obviously, we had a crazy uh, March Madness so far, first two rounds, 16 seed, upsets a one seed, Good all other see. stuff. Bunch of, you know, Xavier's out as a one seed. They were supposed to be here. They're not here. Florida State's here. We'll get we'll get to them get later. To um, but you know, just another another. Are you enjoying the tournament? Have you lost? Is your bracket still? Is your bracket still uh, intact? No, no, my bracket is in tatters. Uh, I think the only team left I have is Villanova. So if they win the whole thing, maybe I'll still look good, possibly. But everybody's still talking about UMBC. Uh, the big news is that it's not a HBCU. A lot of people thought it was a black school. Some people thought it was a black school. Some people thought it was a commuter school. And then because the president's name is Rabowski, they thought it was a white president. So they're wrong on every account. The president of the university is black. is a brother. In fact, he went to Hampton. Uh, he graduated from Hampton. He's been there, I think, almost 17 years. He's a mathematician. Uh, and the school is not a HBCU. It's not a commuter school. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, People are still talking about that. It was it was really great. Of course, the next day they kind of came back to earth and lost, which we, we I mean we kind of ex- we expected that. Yeah, no question. Actually, they played tougher than I thought. You know, they played uh, Kansas yeah. State yeah. tough. I thought I thought it was gonna be a typical situation yeah. where they came back and get blown out, and and everybody remembers they were a 16 seed. Uh, I guess they probably shouldn't have been a 16 seed, but you know, at best a 15. But whatever. I don't want to steal their shine. <laughs> they, the the biggest f- upset of all time, Virginia. If you're Virginia, you just gotta. I don't. Yeah. I heard. I heard a. Uh, I heard an interview with the coach, Virginia coach, who still has his job, and he was very. You know. He, you know. Took it. Took it like a man. You know. He's saying, yeah, well, you know, it's just one of those nights, and you know what can I say? I mean, you know, he's still making four times as much money as the coach who beat him. Um, but yeah, that was that was good. That was probably then, of course, Syracuse. I, I mean, you can't really call that an upset, but uh, the fact that they barely got in the tournament in the first place, and you know Jim Beheim, here they, you know here he is. In fact, I'm going to go out to uh, Omaha uh, uh, and 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 watch uh, Syracuse play Duke. So yeah, I mean it's been, um, you know, it's been uh, I think it's been an entertaining uh, billion dollar tournament. <laughs> and but as you say, you know you have that's the first two rounds are for upsets. And then now we get to the point where you got the big, the big dogs here, right. uh, you know the the name brand schools and most, and you know with a few, couple exceptions, even even the low seed, like you said, Syracuse at eleven seed, but they're still a yeah, big like a brand big, big school. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's basically back to what it always is at this and time of what year. It always is. I mean, I think once a couple of years, you know, Butler, Butler came in, and I'm not sure. I guess Butler is still a mid major. 
Right, but they well, not anymore. they're in the Big East now. Oh, that's right. Butler's in the Big East. So, so much for that. And then, of course, you've got Gonzaga, which um, you know I think they're the the Western athletic. I think they're in the no, now. Yeah, I mean they're in the state. They're still in a small conference. Uh, Western, you know the uh, Western. Western nah, it's the WCC West uh, West Western, Coast Conference West Coast or something Coast. like that. Yeah, um, so, but they've made their brand. They've made their brand so big that they're they're no longer even close to a uh, a mid major. I mean they get they get big time recruits. Right. So right. how we don't know about well because people. Yeah, no, because people, I guess, want to go to um, Spokane. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or, or or you know, or make it you know deep in the well, tournament. Some people you like know? like like rain. They like the rain. Right, right, some, uh, some brothers, you know, grow up in the hood. You know, they want to go out to Spokane and play, whatever they do. Or maybe they just want a good Catholic education. You know, you know, whatever. Okay, <laughs> they got it going. <laughs> and they're playing my man Leonard Hamilton tomorrow. Right. Um, that's going to be big. And in fact. Jamal, I've known Leonard for a long, long, long time. I guess after you reach a certain age, you know everybody for a long, long, long time. But, um, you know, and I had an opportunity to talk to Leonard, um, you know, because I'm here basically the way I, I flew out here because I'm doing a column for The Undefeated um, about uh, the blackout, what I call the blackout. The fact that, you know, it, Leonard, Leonard is the only uh, black coach left in the tournament. That started off so promising, but he's the only, the last black standing, and um, that's my thought about that. And you know um, how you know twenty five, thirty years ago when you had John Thompson and John Cheney and Nolan Richardson, uh, George Raveling, sort of holding court, and now really when you look around, none of the when you look at the black pillars, Leonard really is the only black coach. Who has any type of real longevity and and gravitas and that kind of stuff? And um, I always find it really quite stunning how this happened. Uh, now um, there are two black athletic directors out here: uh, Michigan Ward Manuel, uh, AD, uh, who's the AD in Michigan, who we'll talk to a little later, and um, obviously uh, uh, Stan Wilcox, a friend of the show, who was the AD at Florida State. In fact, Stan. Has hired a black football coach. Now he's got a black basketball coach. Damn, man, you be careful, man. You'll black yourself out of a job, you know. But you know, I mean, it, it's just he. I mean, he, he is qualified people. But it's I think if you're the type of black folk, black person who's not really afraid, you know, you're kind of doing what everybody else is doing. You're hiring the best people, but you're not afraid to hire somebody who looks like you. And I think a lot of times, a lot of black folks who kind of get in these positions get kind of scared. Or they're white bread to begin with, and and you know, but yeah, it's rare. I found when you got, and I and it's encouraging when you have somebody black in power, and he puts other black people in power. And I'm not, you know, and they're, they're qualified, they're good, but I'm doing this, you know, doing what everybody else does. So yeah, I mean, and, and you know, one of the themes that we talked about uh, with some people was you know the athletic di- director is not the final decision maker either, you know. He has to go to the president, and the president is most likely white. So, uh, you know, it takes someone, you know, a white person in power uh, right. to allow right. that to happen. So, right. so yeah, I mean, even even if, uh, you know, even if a, 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 you know, a black athletic director, for example, is is not scared, 
they can put that fear in them when when they tell them, oh, I don't know, you want to put your job on the line on this guy, go ahead. Yeah, you know. That, that, yeah, that, that's true. That and and I thought that was. Uh, I guess I thought about that. Said, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the presidents who are making these calls. The presidents hire the conference commissioners, and the presidents. Uh, you know, hire the head coach of the, I, mean, that, I mean, not the head coach, but the athletic director. And so, really, and uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, uh, when I go out to Omaha, I do want to talk to uh, to get a couple of presidents. I say, where are you? I mean, do you think it's right when you look at the Final Four? I mean, the, the tournament, and you see all these little, you know, brothers running up and down, you know, and then you look around the the executive suites and everything else is all white. That's just to me, it just doesn't seem like a good optic that really looks dangerously close to a plantation in terms of division of labor, where the people doing the heavy lifting are the big bucks, the big black bucks, and they're working really hard hours to make sure that the figure skaters, you know, and the gymnastics, you know, the gymnasts and the swimmers all get to play like, like, a, like a, you know, a guest we had. Right, right, Victoria Jackson. You know, that's what she was saying, that, one of the things that strikes her, she's white. She's a white distance runner, uh, and she was a runner in North Carolina. She says just thought it was stunning that these football basketball players, mostly black, where all the money is made, were making it possible for her to really get a great education where she could actually enjoy the university. And I was just, I'm going to ask some of these presidents, well, don't you think, you know, it's a little time to, I mean, this is 2018, and the fact that you have one black coach, now, you you do have to win. There's no question about it. But it seems like if you're if there are like forty of you, the odds of somebody reaching the Sweet Sixteen are better than if it's like ten. You know, so. Right. I mean, you're right. You have you have to win. Uh, you know, Kevin Ali was fired recently uh, from UConn. He he won a national championship, but didn't really uh, keep it up. You know, to say the least. I mean, I think they were under 500 the yeah. last two years, so you can understand that. But the but the problem with that is that there are there have been white coaches in that position, and there will continue to be who have who get multiple chances after yeah, that. And so we'll yeah. see if and that hasn't been the case with black coaches per se. So we'll see if a guy like Kevin Ali gets additional chances yeah. um, after having you know quote-unquote failed at one job because we've seen you know for white coaches that doesn't seem to to stop their career one other thing, it just seems like uh coaching has become um uh the pressure has become like welfare for white coaches it's almost become this welfare system where they get fired or i heard somebody on the line today i think is uh what's the guy's name seth uh greenberg, greenberg was talking about yeah and the guy he said he's he just said inadvertently yeah and so and so they were talking about all the coaching networks and how he got this job. Yeah, and somebody threw me a lifeline, you know. And just casually, that's exactly what it is. Either welfare or a lifeline for white coaches, which which means there's not a whole lot of room for a lot of brothers. You know, your job is to you play, and then maybe we'll make you an assistant coach so you can go out in the, in the, and beat the bushes and recruit some other black guys. Right, right. And, and that's the thing, too, in terms of being pigeon, you know, assistant coaches, up-and-coming assistant coaches, uh, getting pigeonholed in that recruiting uh, uh, assistant position, like you're, you know, you go into the the hood or, or the you know the black neighborhoods and get the guys, um, but we'll you know, you know, yeah, we'll coach them up. But you know, you can't you can't let someone, uh, you know, if you're an assistant coach, you can't let yourself be put just in that in that box. You have yeah. to you have to you know you know 
demand to be involved in the X's and O's and and learn all angles all angles of the coach your, your, your of coaching. Word is correct, demand. Right. right. You know, you have to demand it, and I know that's hard because you're just trying to get a gig, but you cannot be. You know, they hire you, and then your whole thing is is is, is just recruiting. You know, you and I guess a lot of this depends on the coach too. You know, that you really have to insist that you really want the full. You you have to get a specialty, whether it's we're going to become an offensive, an offensive mind, or a defensive mind. Because one of the things that uh, uh, Ward was saying is that you look who sits next to the head coaches. You know, who are who are the guys right next to him? Well, this guy is a de- his his defensive guy, and all that. And I think that uh, you're you're absolutely right. I think that uh, the coaches, the black coaches, cannot just allow themselves to be rabbit chasers. You know, where they, you know, they go into the hood and their sole job is recruiting. I always pay attention to like the timeouts and who's like, you know, when the, who's like really in the thick of it right. in the timeouts and the brother's kind of out there, you know, in the, per, the periphery. He's, he's out recruiting. <laughs> he's like, oh, it's a timeout. Time, it's time to go to the hood. <laughs> yeah, let me go. Or make this phone call. You see him on the cell phone. You watching this? <laughs> yeah, so you, you can't, you, you know, we can't we got to stop that cycle, and also because we saw, as as we've seen uh, recently, with with you know the FBI probe, and all, they'll, they'll, you guys are gonna be you guys are gonna be first to take the fall. Um, we know we know for sure that it's not just black coaches who who uh, were involved in this t- in this type of negotiation for recruits, but but you know, astonishing, you know, overwhelming, overwhelming, not even over a hundred percent. All every every one of those uh, coaches who got indicted was black. Yeah, are you kidding me? You know, but but again, you cannot put yourself in that in that position. You know, and I know it's hard. I mean, it's easy for us to sit here in this undisclosed location in the bowels of Staples Center and say that. But you know, this this industry, man, is just such a racket. It's just really just a racket, and it's a racket where predominantly the white men dominate, and white people too. If you look at the if you look at the women's thing, you know. Same thing. That's become the same thing with a lot of sisters, you know, playing these heavy hours. That's why I'm so happy for Dawn Staley, you know, just really being somebody who's like, you know, a real black person, a real sister breaking through. But but getting back to your point about being the bag man, you know, you get hold, you get caught holding the bag. And, and a lot of that is systemic. But you have got to – you can't just keep letting them put you in that trick bag where you get, hold, you, you get left holding the bag. Right, you can't you can't be dissatisfied with that position because you you can leverage that because every we know how important recruiting is. So if you're if you're a great recruiter, you need to leverage that and say, hey, you know, I'll do that, but you know, I got to be involved in in other parts of the business or too. Leave. You know, go to HBCU. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah, so that that's the thing. I mean, and that we, we're just talking about coaches. We're not even talking about conference commissioners and uh, uh, conference commissioners and um, and um, uh, and uh, athletic directors. You know, so, and then I was asking um, Ward, I wonder how many guys on the Michigan team actually know know what he does. You know, uh, we spoke to Stan Wilcox uh, also today, and he was saying he actually sits kids down to tell them what he does, what goes into an athletic department, because uh, if you don't, he said he didn't really see a black coach until he played in Notre Dame. He didn't see a black coach until John Thompson. And he was like, oh, wow. <laughs> You, oh, you don't just have to be a player. You can actually coach. And the same thing about if kids never see a, a black AD or they'll never see, like, a conference commissioner or something. 
They said, you know, we don't even know these. How do you get there? How, what's, how, how do I get to become a conference commissioner? How do I get to become, yeah. Right, and, he, and these guys, you know, as we talked about also, they make very good livings. So, so kids and kids need to understand that. Like, you can make a very good living as an as an AD or as obviously as a as a head coach. It's not just the NBA. Um, it's not just playing professionally. That's gonna that's gonna you know you know get you to you know you know provide you a great life for you and your family. These are other positions that can do that too. And I think if you know, obviously, if more kids understand that, and mm-hmm. it's hard to it's hard for an eighteen to twenty two year old to grasp that at that time. But if you plant those seeds and they start seeing, um, you know, more people that look like them in those positions, you know, that's the only way, really. Yeah, and it's up to the coaches, I think. I mean, I've seen so many times over years and years how somebody, usually a white administrator, will pluck one of these white kids, you know, kind of pluck them off. Say, I've I've seen leadership in this kid and kind of tell him, listen, man, you're up here playing football. I think you got – I think you ought to get on this coaching track. I think you ought to get on this administration track. You know, and I've seen it happen. Guy made that doesn't play that much, and all of a sudden, man, years later, I was at somewhere. Uh, well, we I think last we, during the Big East tournament, uh, and they had this kid from Seton Hall, uh, uh, Arturis Karnishova, who, who who I remember covering him at Seton Hall. This kid from Lithuania, and he came here, could, couldn't really speak English, and now this guy is is the. Uh, a general manager of the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, you know. But that it, it happens. We could probably, if we go through our roller deck, there are probably so many instances of that. The guys now who are who are ads and commissioners and doing this big stuff, and they didn't even play. And all the brothers who played, you know, just just doing okay stuff. But you know, and, and it, but it, I'm always curious. Maybe one day I'll do that. I'll take about 20, 10 guys, 10 white guys, and track, track how they got there and who are the comparable big-time black players at the same year and how their past diverged, how this guy ends up the president of a team or the general manager of a team. And the brothers, you know, like assistant coach somewhere, trying to struggle to get I mean, I was happy to see Penny Hardaway finally get a job in Memphis. And then you hear people, oh, well, yeah, but you know, can, can he really? I mean, you know, it's, it's just, this stuff's just never, it just never. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, you're talking about Leonard Hamilton being the only guy, you know, coaching wise, going back to the coaching. Um, you know, the old, like the elder statesman for black coaches. I mean, there are, there are some young black coaches coming up, but do they have that same mentality? You know, we, we talked to Shaka Smart um, earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. He's one of the young coaches. Yeah, he lost. Yeah, he, like he had a one and done. You know, you got to give him credit for, I guess, getting one of those guys because right. that look, probably looks good on the resume too. That he was able to recruit that that type of kid. Um, but you know, you got guys like him. Um, you know, Quanzo Martin, uh, Lavelle at Butler, uh, Amaker at Harvard. Well, you know, what do you think of the next this next generation of uh, coaches that are going to get older and be in the game for a while? Do you think they have that same mentality as the John Thompsons had back in the day? And, you know, what do you think? Well, that's that's a great question, Jamal. It's a great question, Jamal. But, I mean, <laughs> one of many. But, uh, but you know, uh, Leonard talked about that, too. I mean, I asked him about that, about, you know, him coming up with John. I mean, he said, well, those guys were all, A, they're very successful, but they, they built these resumes. Nolan Richardson started Wichita State. He started a community college, a junior college. Uh 
you know, uh, George Raveling, I think, was it Iowa, and then um, moved to Washington, then then moved to USC, uh, Cheney at Temple, you know, and they but they they became those programs, particularly Thompson at, at Georgetown. He, I mean, he built that from like nothing, and and uh, Cheney really turned Temple into his program, and they all had a lot of success, and I think and they were older. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at this group, and I don't really, like I said, Leonard, I think he's 69 now, 69 years old, and he's really the only one. You know, people like Paul Hewitt, not in the, you know, not in the business. Um, John Thompson III just got fired. Um, I just got fired, but he got fired. You know, so you don't really have anybody with the, the stature of a Bayheim or Krzyzewski and all that. And I really think it's incumbent upon those white coaches, Roy Williams, those guys, to use their prestige and power to call attention to this issue of the blackout and put pressure on the, on the presidents or bring it to the president's attention. They, you know, this is it's not really good for our industry. It may seem like it is because that's more jobs for white coaches, but to have an industry that relies primarily on these young black kids but then to basically always put a cap on the number of black coaches. And I'm just wondering, Jamal, when are the parents? That, that to me, is just baffling. Like, black parents, just like, it's, it's, I guess it's that slave mentality that we just can't, we can't wait to send our kid to these institutions that are not, go- that have shown repeatedly they're not going to hire black folks in any position of power. You know, they'll, they'll hire them as assistant coaches, but they're not going to hire them as head coaches. And a lot of parents don't seem to care. So, to me, that's, it's like the, the the hip bones connected to the thigh bone kind of thing is all all interconnected. So to answer your question, um, I, I'm kind of concerned about this new generation because they've been awfully quiet about this. Right, and and you know to me it's, a, it's as much a societal issue. I mean, obviously, you look it's different because in this industry, the the labor is so you know so much it's such a majority black like you know it's like ninety especially basketball it's like you're, you're talking about eighty percent at least uh, right so yeah right so you know you're talking about you know it's a different industry in terms of the the labor <laughs> Bill Bill's taking a quick uh, in podcast break to get some pretzels right. Peanuts. We heard these peanuts. <laughs> we should, that's where we get peanuts. <laughs> no question. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, it, you know, it's like this in every industry. Um, there is a ceiling on on black people and, and especially black males. Like, you know, the, the racism is deep. What the story you were quoting? The right. The New York Times did a, did a study uh, a couple of days ago which showed that it's, it's a uniquely black male issue uh in terms of discrimination and racism that that black males no matter what kind of you know no matter where they come from where you know what uh demo you know what uh financial background they come from as compared to to white males um there no matter you know if you compare blacks you know who come from the exact same uh financial background as white males white males in every aspect do better and in fact a black a black male who comes from whose parents are millionaires is just as likely to get arrested as a white male who, uh, who comes from a background 
of uh, 36,000 or less. You know, his family made 36,000 or less. So it's definitely, you know, how people like to scream it's a, it's a, it's a class issue. That just that knocked that out of the box. It's a racism issue, and and obviously it plays, it plays in in athletics for sure because you're dealing with a majority black males. Yeah, yeah particularly. I wonder if the Times has a black male sports writer yet before you call the tea kettle black. But yeah, I mean, um, so that that's um, you know. Well, I'm sure we're gonna you know talk more about that. We'll take a we'll probably take a little break, right? We had a really good conversation with Ward Manuel, and uh, we caught up to him in the corridor here. And he has some good things to say uh, about uh, people, critics of the NCAA system using the slave analogy uh, to talk about how these kids are like slaves. He he reacted very strongly about that. So he said that and a couple other things, but also about not rolling back his conversation either. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to that when we come back. I want to put you all up on Audible. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 book titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. For you, the listeners of the Bill Roden on Sports podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. We highly recommend that you check out the classic $40 Million Slaves, The Rise, Fall, and Redemption of the Black Athlete by the one and only William C. Roden, an absolute must-read, particularly in these days and times. To download your free audio book today, go to audibletrial.com back, backslash Bill Roden on sports. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports for your free audio book. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Bill Roden on sports here at the Staples Center in Los Angeles with uh, Jamal Murphy. And, um, you know, I, I spoke with Ward Manuel, who's the athletic director at, uh, at Michigan now, and uh, we had a pretty interesting – I've known Ward actually since he was a, a player, since he was a senior at uh, Michigan. He played football at Michigan. And I was doing – it was, I think, 1990, and I was doing this uh, three-part series for the Times about the student-athlete on campus. And I ran into him, and he had been diagnosed with an injury, and he couldn't play anymore. And he said that uh, one day he was uh, on his way just by uh, habit, getting ready to go uh, to practice, and then he stopped and realized, wait a minute, I don't have to go to practice. I don't have to go to practice anymore. And he said the whole university just kind of opened up to him in terms of all the stuff that he can do. Now he said – he probably could have done it before, but he was so focused on football and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, Ward uh, really dove into athletic administration. He became an assistant AD at, at Michigan. Then he became a, an AD at the University of Buffalo and really transformed that program. And uh, then he went to UConn, and he really did, you know, help win another championship there. And then he got the AD job back to his alma mater, Michigan. And uh, so he's really, and he really preaches education. I mean, he is of the belief, and I agree, that the uh, athletic scholarship could really be a great thing for, 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 for young people if they take advantage of it. And um, he took offense. Uh, I, I spoke to him, and uh, I asked him, recently some commentator critics said, these kids who play in this tournament or intercollegiate sports are like slaves. And he was very offended. And this is what he said about that. You, you were saying about 
within the week, somebody said, and, and talked about the tournament and college sports in general, that these guys were like slaves. And you obviously took, I don't know if you took offense, but you just thought it was it, it, inaccurate to say the least. Well, I took a little offense, and I, I thought it was an inappropriate uh, analogy around um, who these student athletes are um, and uh, what they should. Uh, and most of them do get out of participation in, in their collegiate athletics and that there is a, uh, a value, there is a return on their participation through education. Uh, they're, um, for the most part, well taken care of in, in many of the things that they uh, need and, uh, and a lot of which they want uh, are taken care of, uh, not only at Michigan but across the board. And so for me, uh, these consistent analogies that come out of mistreatment uh, and slaves and those kind of things. I, I just think it is, uh, you know, we, we, we are uh, need to be cautious about how we talk through uh, what these young men and young women go through on our college campuses, which I think is far, far better uh, than slavery. And we also just talked about a couple other things uh, um, about um, uh, his compensation of coaches. And I asked him, uh, you know, we talked about, oh, or, or one of the things I, I said that uh, last year the NCAA tournament made a billion dollars for the first time. And this year, of course, it'll probably make as much. And I asked him, uh, did he think that the P, the kids should be, uh, to get a part, a piece of that money? And this is what he uh, he said. Last year, the NCAA record Yes. NCAA said they made a billion dollars for the first time in, in uh, 2017. This year, it's close to that. People will look at that, and of course, they'll make, they'll say, well, you know, this kid's got to get more. I mean, this is a commercialized venture. Right. I think you got to give the kids something, something more. Your, your, your thoughts on it? Well, my thoughts are, you know, much of it is distributed. I forget the exact, you know, uh, uh, number, but I want to say it's 80 to 90 percent of that number is distributed back to universities across the board, Division One, probably Division Two, II, Division Three as well, and then um, redistributed out to not only students, staff, all the things that we do to cover um, and benefit uh, not only uh, the student athletes, but but to really take care of and make sure the operation of intercollegiate athlete, athletics can can go on. And so people see the number. But the distribution is back to the very people to benefit the very people who work in this industry who also are students in, in uh, intercollegiate athletics. And so I don't want to discount the fact that, yes, we as administrators, we as coaches make money, make a significant salary. Um, but I also want to, to also not look away from the fact that we invest a lot back in a, a lot back, a, a lot of that money back into the students uh, for their for their benefit. Finally, I asked him, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I said, well, you know, the key word is, is to roll back these salaries. I said, what do you think? Are you go roll back your salary? <laughs> this is how he reacted. Will salaries ever get rolled back? You know what? I think, I, I think when, you, um, when you look at it and uh, where we are, Probably not. I mean, the reality are giving, is. Are you giving any back? But you know. <laughs> what are you like? Eight, eight televisions. Yeah. You know what? Are you 
The answer, the answer is, uh, you know, probably not. But who in America would? You know, you negotiate based on, um, you know, the marketplace and where you are. And look, I've worked for less, and I still love my job. The, the reality is, um, I get it. The, the numbers are significant when you pull out the top 5, 10, uh, maybe 15, 20%. Um, but um, it, it is a... Uh, we are a market-driven uh, economy and, and, and system. So, anyway, that was the great Ward Manual. Uh, really great guy. And, um, and um, you know, this I think, you know, it's going to be a great region out here. But, you know, you really can't go wrong. I mean, yes, the tournament does make money and for a reason because it's really a great, great tournament. Right. And, and one of the things he was, you know, he was emphasizing is that, the, the kids do have an opportunity uh, to take advantage of the scholarship. And that's the thing to me. I, I would assume it's different at different universities. Like maybe Michigan does a good job and does try to open up uh, time and, you know, for the kids to really pursue a, a legitimate education. I mean, obviously you get you get a prestigious uh, uh, degree if you if you get out of Michigan with, with the, you know, graduate from Michigan. Um, but, you know, I wonder if all schools really do provide that opportunity, um, you know, that the kids really, you know, have the time and are encouraged to take advantage of the resources that the university provides. And I'm sure that's that's on a case by case or university by university, uh, you know, situation. He was telling you, he was saying um, that, you know, the kids got to get out. They may have been in that clip that. He tries to tell these kids to get out of the athletic bubble, you know, and and you know, you're particularly in this era, when 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 you could, the pros are so close, you could taste it, you see it every day. I mean, you know, back when I was eighteen, nineteen, you know, uh, you couldn't really. I mean, it wasn't. It was like this hazy. You couldn't even see it. And with each progressive, each successive generation, the idea of becoming a pro is right there for you. I mean, you look at when you played and you were in high school at, at Poly Pro. I mean, you could look at TV. You played against Stephon Marbury, and, and you could see, oh, wow, if I do this and play in this team, play in this program and go here, go here, get, you know, I'll at least give my, put, you know, uh, put myself, give myself a shot. So I think, you know, the kids become so single-mindedly focused. You could be at at Duke or you know, all these schools, and you're just there. And I just say just there, but all the other stuff is kind of irrelevant in, in, in a way. Um, right. And then, that, you know, if you go, if you're a big-time recruit who ends up at any of those these big-time schools, you there's no doubt you think that you could go uh, pro. I mean, that's why you play. That's your, that's your dream. So it is tough um, to expect the kid, you know, to really take advantage. I mean, it is lecture by, uh, or Bill Rosen's going to be on campus. Hey, man, I got to practice. Exactly. Is he going to get me to the pros? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. right. He's going to help me. You know, what's in it for me? You know, but, yeah, I mean, and I, I think, again, we're talking uh, from this from the perspective of, you know, like somebody's over 60, you know, you, you know, like 40. I mean, you, you go back to when you were 18, 19, and imagine being 18, 18 20 at the University of Alabama. Be a football player at the University of Alabama, or a basketball player at Kentucky, or at Duke, and all that. Nineteen, and just imagine what's being, what's coming at you, on and off the court, and on and off the field. 
I mean, it, it's good to sit up here, but it, it's just to make these kids probably come through it at all, you know. Right. You know, so we'll see. And remember, and remember we talked to – and there's also the issue of, uh, you know, compensation and, you know, being able to uh, benefit, you know, off your likeness. Uh, you know, we, had, we, we spoke to – Ed O'Bannon on the Roden Fellows podcast on ESPN, on the ESPN app, so check that out. Uh, Ed O'Bannon, of course, has strong opinions about that. Uh, he, he was the named plaintiff on the lawsuit that beat the, the NCAA in terms of, you know, as, as far as kids benefiting, you know, from their likeness and not being taken taken advantage of. So, I, And I, 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 I do think we still agree with him on that, that, that there should be some compensation um you know, for for a kid who has value out there, you know, off his own brand. Right. Yeah, and and uh, you know, of course, um, Manuel was saying, Ward was saying, well, yeah, but you know, yeah, okay, maybe you should get five hundred dollars for signing autograph, but you know, the boosters are gonna give him a thousand or two thousand, and you know, I mean, I I don't know that. I mean, that's kind of free market, and in fact, if that's one of the last things I asked him. He, Said, you know, when I asked him, was he gonna roll back his salary? He said, well, no, it's kind of free market. I said, wait a minute, twenty minutes ago, you railed against free market. You know that it wasn't about free markets, and then he, he kind of hedged back and forth. You know, but um, yeah, it's, 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 this is such a bizarre industry. I mean, I think the scholarship system is great. I benefited from it, um, but again, I you know I went to Morgan State University on an athletic scholarship in like nineteen sixty eight. I mean, in the world. The, the money is bigger. Everything is just is just bigger, and I do think we have to find a way. Because you look at the tournament, and you look at anything, the, the volleyball tournament. I mean, you know, the tennis play. You know, people show up at these college campuses to see this stuff. So you're putting stuff out there. People are seeing it. Clearly, the university thinks there's a value to it, although Eastern Michigan just announces cutting out force four sports, wrestling, swimming, something else, they didn't see as a value of that. But, um, yeah, so it's a fascinating industry, but the tournament, the tournament is great. And um, one thing I did want to say, Jamal, is that we both lost, or I've lost a really good friend uh, a couple of days ago, the great Les Payne uh, uh, passed away. And it's still kind of hard for me to even, even, even say that because Les was just such a larger-than-life force. We had him on our show. I think it was Jan- We had him on in January of 2017, and it was probably one of the most provocative podcasts we've done since we've been working together. Um, his life was so full and rich, and his experience was so great, the impact that he's Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, Newsday, national editor, um, just a great, tremendous collector of art, and um, if you hadn't, there's going to be a lot of tributes to him, but I would encourage you to go back and look, listen to that podcast. I think we're going to put it up, or maybe we have put it up already. Yeah, we, we posted it again. I'll post it again. Uh, definitely one of the best uh, conversations or podcasts I've been a part of, for sure. And, you know, you could tell his, you know, his real genius. He was a, he's a legend, a trailblazer in the game, really – um, promoted other black journalists like probably no one else, um, and it, and it just you know and I you know I've heard people say you know unfortunately you know we still needed him you know you still because because black you know we still need someone to promote black journalists you know that's not over yeah. and obviously Bill you're doing that with the Roden Fellows so we just you know it's just 
something that you know people like that you know dedicate their lives to doing to doing that and we still need it and you know he'll be he'll be i mean beyond sorely missed i mean just a great guy really yeah i was just i was just glad that we had really glad that we just had him on the show and um he, he really he he what i liked about it, he talked about his life and his career in journalism there're going to be a lot of words written about him but i think hearing him talk about himself and and his experiences was just priceless in fact i'll probably listen to it again while i'm uh, you know um flying out to omaha but anyway i just wanted to to acknowledge that and um you know, uh, kind of put everything in perspective. So, Murph, with that, with that, uh, we're we're gonna sign off of this one. We've we've been on hiatus. We, you know, we gotta address. We haven't been on for for about a month, but you know, because of the yeah, you know, Taylor Rooks was the last uh, podcast. That was a good one, so we left on a good note. And now, you know, we we took some time off. Uh, Called the March Madness hiatus. Um, well, yeah, a lot going on. on a I was on it, yeah. Maybe that's why it didn't seem. Maybe that's why it seemed that we had been off so long because you were on a couple of the uh, the uh, undefeated HBCU 468 podcast. Yeah, so check those out. As I mentioned, Ed O'Bannon on the ESPN app; uh, those were good as well. Um, you know, so but we'll be back sooner. Uh, the tournament will, you know, by that time, I'm sure that we'll know who's, we'll definitely know who's in the final four and probably who the champion is. Uh, you got any predictions? No, <laughs> you won't, since you won't hear from us until then, we're not going to play ourselves like that. Yeah, yeah, it's been a rough. It's been you know, like we we talked about. It's been a crazy tournament. Um, you know, you got a bunch of high seeds still around. North Carolina just got killed. And Texas A and M is up is out here in in uh, L A. And we got a chance to, to, like to see Florida State. I mean, I, Florida State, I, right? That's not a prediction, but I, I'd like to see Florida State win. Of course, they got to get back and Zach to do that. But I would like to see Florida State win. Yeah, I agree with that, and like you said, Leonard Hamilton, one of the you know the unsung great coaches, black or white. Period. I mean, you know, he's done a lot. He had Miami winning the Big East, uh, you know, a long time ago, and now he's you know reincarnated at Oklahoma State. Yeah, he was Oklahoma State. He was Austin P. Austin Austin P. I think. Yeah, Fly William. I mean, he's like I said, he's. Uh, had a long, long, long storied career. The only thing he really hasn't done is got to the final eight or won a national championship, and that would really be that would really be great. He's a you know he's a you know Christian guy you know, and uh, maybe this time you know it'll carry him through. We're all around Easter and Lent and all that, so. Well, yeah, you convinced me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna root for, I'm gonna root for them. Not that you convinced me, because we, we both, we both know what we both have, we both, both talked to him. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, you know, so we're, we're rooting for uh, Leonard Hamilton. He, you know, he deserves it for, you know, a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, you know, but you know, it's gonna come down to what happens on the court. But they have as good a shot as anybody. I mean, they're gonna, you know, I don't see anybody blowing them out. I mean, they're, you know, the these four teams, especially in L.A., you got Texas A&M, Michigan. There's no real favorite there to me. I mean, Michigan has the name, but, I mean, they're both – I would say Texas A&M is more talented. And then you have uh, uh, Gonzaga, Florida State, and Florida State just beat the number one seed. Can, you know, they can they could beat Gonzaga, but it's, it's a close game that could go either way. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, so we will see. All right, everybody. Well, until, you know, next, next time we tee it up, take care, God bless, and uh, say goodbye from the Staples Center in rainy L.A.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.